0: like to welcome you out to another episode of the lodestone training and consulting podcast i'm jared ross and today i'm going to be flying solo uh chris is is busy he wasn't able to make it and uh some of the other regular contributors they were all off doing their own thing so it's going to be me today and today uh what i chose what i'm choosing to talk about and what we're going to be discussing today is uh you know really based upon some current events, as well as some of the questions and stuff I've been asked these past couple of weeks. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about home preparation or or preparing your home. So there's a lot of things that that go into that. Um, Before I get going into that subject, I just want to thank you guys for all your support. I thank you for listening. and, uh, And thanks for all that you do. You guys make it all worth it. You guys are the reason why we continue doing this podcast and why we keep holding classes and also why we keep expanding classes. Um, I was shown a a, a post uh, yesterday, actually, um, from somewhere on the interwebs. And uh, I just want to, I don't know who these people are, who their their, their handles, and I don't need to to share it. But I just appreciate what you guys, uh, you know, what what some people said. So first, uh, the title says Lodestone Training. And then uh, the, the caption that I, I uh, see or I was sent says, plus I do a lot of classes at LCPCPC, AKA the best damn range in PA, which, which it is. Um, it's a great place and uh, we love those guys there. But then what I really appreciate, and this is probably why it was, it was uh, copied and, uh, and sent to me, is the statement below that says, I do a lot of training with different organizations and can hands down say these guys are the real deal you will get a lot of knowledge dumped on you. And uh, thank you. So whoever said that, you know, thank you for for the kind words, but that really is one of the things that we strive to do. We try to turn on that fire hose and make you drink from it. We try to give you guys as much information as we possibly can cram into the classes, whether it's a seminar or live fire class or a workshop or whatever, but at the same time, not so much that you can't handle it, that you can't uh, digest all the knowledge and all the the information that we're dropping on you guys. But uh, anyway, just, just, I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you for the kind words and thank you for, you know, spreading the knowledge about the existence of, of Lodestone. I keep getting some emails and inquiries from, from more and more people across the country saying, Hey, uh, my friend told me about you guys. I just discovered your podcast. It's, it's the best. I appreciate it. Keep it up. And uh, you know, that's just paraphrasing a, a lot of traffic that we've been getting. So I, again, I, I appreciate it all right so let's start talking about uh home preparation or, or preparing your home uh this is a common theme uh, we've talked about it in, in some different ways before um talking about uh turning your home into a castle hardening your home and so this is gonna be some similar things but also a lot of different and, and a lot of uh, other information um i guess the best place to start because uh all you knuckleheads out there, including myself, you know, as soon as you start thinking about how do I prepare my home? What does that mean? My mind immediately goes to You firearms. Maybe that's from, from being a kid and watching red dawn so much or, or watching a full metal jacket or commando or whatever, you know, the, the movie was when, as soon as I start thinking about preparations, immediately you go to guns. So I thought I would talk about firearms at first and get that out of the way, then talk about some more practical stuff. Um, and what I mean by that is, uh, I've shared this before, and it's just the truth. Uh, I have a lot of knowledge, as you know, a lot of experience running guns. Um, and, you know, I know how to do it. I'm, I'm pretty proficient at it. That's why, one of the reasons why I instruct, to pass on what I know. But even with all of my knowledge and all of my experience behind firearms, um, it's my experience as a soccer medic, a Special Operations Combat Medic, those are the skills that I've used more for real here in the States than, than any of my firearm stuff. Um, so it's important to be well-rounded. It's important to, you know, to, know, to know all sorts of things, to be that well-rounded light fighter as Chris and I keep, keep harping on and keep talking about. Um, so we'll knock out the firearms because yeah, that's the cool, sexy stuff. And then we'll get into, into some other things. So what is the best firearm for home defense? Uh, I've been asked that question plenty of times. I know we shared it once or twice here in the podcast. And the answer, at least my answer for that is the firearm that you know how to handle the best. And I don't care what that firearm is. It could be something silly like a, uh, like a Derringer or, or something, you know, even sillier than that. Maybe some, uh, you know, skeet gun, whatever. I don't care what the firearm is. The best one to use for home defense is the firearm that you know the best, that you've used the best, that you can handle, that you can manipulate, that you can utilize the best. That's the one you should go for. Now, I certainly have my preferences, and I would encourage you that if if the weapon you know the best is your, is your trap gun, um, I would encourage you to... Make another selection and get out and train with that, whether with us or somebody else reputable or you just go into the range yourself until you feel comfortable with with another gun. That would probably be that would be better. But until then, you go to whatever it is that you know best. Um, Some common features that you need are that I would suggest for that home defense gun is one. You need to be able to get to it quickly. That's probably the most important thing. And when you hear that bump in the night or when you are surprised or somebody kicks down your door, or somebody's breaking your window or somebody, whatever, they are now entering your home and there's a threat in your home. Most likely you're going to be behind the power curve. Most likely you're not going to be expecting it. The first you probably will know that something's going on is when you hear that door open or when you hear that window break. So you want to be able to access your firearms as, as, as fast as possible at the same time you don't want to store your firearms in an unreasonable way and what does that mean well i will leave that to you as a responsible individual to figure out how the best way to store those firearms as you know we have a lot of children um and most of our firearms are stored unloaded tucked away in a secure you know secure way i i have a um I have a gun safe, you know, so most of our firearms, because we have a few, that's how they're stored. But we do have firearms that are strategically placed around the home that aren't stored and locked up in, in a gun safe. Um, so how are they stored? Well, when we store our firearms in and we leave them that, that, that are uh, there for home defense that we can access and get to quickly, we choose, my wife and I, we choose to have a loaded magazine inserted in the gun but with the chamber uh, empty. The children, our children who are strong enough to chamber that firearm, to lock that slide or or work the bolt in order to, to chamber it, Uh, they've been around firearms their entire life and there is no mystery. They're not sneaking in. They're not touching the guns without permission. They're not doing that stuff because they've been around firearms their entire life. There is no mystery. They know, Hey, if I want to shoot, all I got to do is say, Hey dad, can I go with you to the range next time? Heck yeah. Let's go out and let's, let's get some rounds downrange. So we are not at all concerned with them are children who are so young that they're not mature enough to understand the, their actions um, that, you know, it's just, just they're, they're growing up. They, they just, even though they've been around firearms and we have taught them how to be safe with them, they're still so young and immature that we can't quite trust them like we can our older children, but they are not physically able to work the slide. They are not strong enough to, to work that slide, and, and the firearm most likely is, uh, is. Put in a place where it's high that they can't have access to. Um, And that's how my wife and I have chosen. Now, when we have cousins over to the house, we have other children or people visiting, okay, then we're a little bit more diligent and we put some of the firearms away. And because even though like say cousins um, are our kids' cousins, they've grown up similarly. They've also been around firearms, but because they're not our kids, then we just take uh, the little extra precautions in, in storing and in removing some of those firearms while they're there. And then once they're gone, then we'll, we, we put them back in, in those places. And that's the way my wife and I have, have chosen to uh, keep those firearms safe, but also uh, keep them out there in access in, in easy access for us in case of a need. And if any of you listening to this thinking that's, that's just horrid, that that is horrible that, uh, <laughs> that my wife and I are doing that, Oh, well, it's, I'd rather do that and have quick and easy access to my firearms when there's a need than not. Uh, I don't need to go into much detail, but a great example is, was that shooting. And I think we talked about it a couple podcasts back, um, that shooting in um, in Texas in that church where that NRA instructor who was a, A hero because he went to the fight. It took him a long time to open up his safe, get his firearm, go to another place, load his magazine, then insert the magazine. All the while, he's hearing the gunfire, knowing that with those shots, um, people are dying. So if you have a firearm, you have a firearm you're choosing for home defense and needs to be stored in a way that you can quickly get to it. And there's a lot of like locks and, and boxes and other things that are nifty that you can them in that just a little um, push button code can can retrieve it. So there's all kinds of options out there if you don't feel comfortable um, having a firearm with an easy reach or, you know, easily accessed like like my wife and I have chosen to do. OK, enough about that. So first, you need to be able to get to a quick. The next thing that I would suggest is you need a flashlight. If you have chosen and you have a firearm that you're going to use for, for home defense, it needs to have a flashlight attached to it. Whether it's a pistol, shotgun, rifle, doesn't matter. You need a flashlight. That should be the first addition or the first mod that you you do to that thing. Shoot, that's even more important than uh, if you have iron sights, it's even more important than putting some kind of a red dot on there. You need a flashlight. You need a way to positively identify those threats. Uh, If you're long term, the long-time listener to the podcast, you've heard Chris share at least once or twice uh, the story of the individual he knows who thought someone was breaking into his daughter's bedroom and to protect his daughter... He had his pistol with his night sights. Did not have a flashlight, and he ended up shooting his daughter as she was creeping back into the bedroom um, through the window. Horrible, horrible accident and mistake. Um, him trying to do the right thing, and obviously it went went horribly wrong. But if he would have had a flashlight, he could have identified his daughter. Um, so you need a flashlight. Uh, night sights. Hey, they're swell. A lot of pistols anymore um, are, are coming with them. You buy them and they're already on there. But really, night sights are, are, are a gimmick because, you, sure, you can see that glowing dot or you can see that the, you know, glowing blade or, or, or whatever it might be, and you might be able to put it on that target. But without a flashlight, you cannot identify that target. And when, as soon as you turn that, that flashlight on, those night sights that you paid for, now it's just a black uh, post just a black front sight post and and, and rear sights with a pistol. Um, So I wouldn't even bother, and I don't bother anymore with night sights. I have a flashlight. Uh, Another thing that you need that's common to whatever your your firearm of choice is to to defend your home is you want to have extra mags or or ammunition uh, at hand. So if you hear that bump in the night, you're going to grab that, firearm and then grab at the same time the extra ammo in case you need it and then you can go confront um that threat but yeah so those are some of the uh you know th- three things that are common to whatever the firearm is easy access quick access to it make sure you have a flashlight to identify and have some extra ammunition or, or mags so now what are the three primary firearms shotguns pistols and rifles. Um, and I'll briefly go through those. So a shotgun is a very common one for people who don't have much experience. Uh, they use the shotgun as a as a jack of all trades. Um, shotguns are are great for what they are. The problem with shotguns is they're usually pretty big. They have low rounds, meaning you know you might have five in the tube, or you know I have a 590. Shoot about a 590 when I was 18 still have that puppy so that's eight in the tube plus one so nine in the chamber and uh, you know of course i have a side saddle and some other stuff so i have some more rounds there but that's not a lot of rounds hopefully you don't need that many rounds but again uh, if it's a crazy experience or something you know wild that that's going on um that ammo can go pretty darn fast so one thing that i suggest is uh a great idea is skd tactical uh they have shotgun cards so these are velcro cards so basically you're putting the uh you're putting the loops gets fastened to the side of your shotgun uh, of the velcro and then you have the hooks which is actually the shotgun card and so you can fill that up with, with ammo so that's as simple as as soon as the one's out rip off that velcro slap another uh, velcro card on there and then and you're full so that's one of the ways that we store some of our shotgun ammunition is on multiple cards like that so it's easy to to grab those things and stick it and go a nice thing about that then too is you if you want to then you can have uh, different ammo selections on different cards usually for for home defense you're going to be wanting you know double out buck um that would be the primary thing maybe for some reason depending on your location or whatever maybe you want uh some slugs okay great so one card with slugs multiple cards with with buckshot and then then you can have that that choice if you want to uh what you really don't want to do unless you're super crazy or whatever is you know you don't want like a card with with the dragon breath so uh yeah you know, that'd be a little something like that'd be a little crazy you have a little mini flamethrower in your house but again what's nice about having those cards and with the velcro is so what you know who cares what i think you can make the decision for yourself you will be able to set it up the way you want to set it up with the ammunition and the rounds you want to for your shotgun and then it's very easy for you to stick one pill off and and stick on another you can do the same thing too with some of the uh, semi-auto shotguns whether it's like a benelli Um, again, you can have that card that you can feed that tube, or if you've got like a Sega or something like that, uh, yeah, have multiple magazines filled up with, with whatever you want and however you want. Um, so, you know, that's the shotgun. If that's what you want to go for, uh, that's, that's an okay choice. I would really say that the shotgun is the primary choice for somebody who doesn't have a lot of experience running guns um in some ways running that shotgun is easier than in say some of the other platforms but it certainly has its limitations unless you spend some good time behind it working the manipulation working feeding the the tube and and other stuff then the shotgun can be a little finicky but as you guys know you've you're listening uh (laughs) you know that that's what uh when i wasn't home that's what my wife had to use she she grabbed that mossberg 590 the one i bought when i was 18 and uh yeah that's what she used she grabbed it and she assaulted those guys who were trying to come into the house okay pistol Next to the shotgun, the pistols probably uh, again the the next most common thing that people are going to go for. Why? Because pistols are are small. You can stick them in different places. You can secure them very easily, and uh, you know they're pretty handy to have. Um, with your pistol, again, you need to have that flashlight. You need to have that flashlight attached. You need to have that Surefire or or whatever needs to be on there and then also with pistols depending on your pistol you might have anywhere between eight rounds to to maybe 17 or maybe even 21 rounds um, with that pistol so it's a good idea to to with it wherever you're keeping it have a couple of extra loaded mags so that you'll you know you hear that bump you can grab your pistol put it into action and then shove that one or two extra mags in, in your pocket and then go meet that threat you know, one thing that, that I will say, though, and it's true with the shotguns and the pistols and, and with the next one we'll talk about is rifles, is that if this is what you want to choose as your primary weapon for home defense, you need to go to the range. And it's more than just punching holes in paper where you want to. There's a whole other, you know, manipulations and things that you need to work with. As you guys have been to our pistol classes know, when we teach the draw, we teach it as a four position movement. Uh, And we do it specifically because you're in a fight. It's not a competition. Um, Guys who run like a competition draw, and uh, it's great because their validation is a pro timer. makes sense when you want to shoot balloons faster than the next guy or or hit a plate rack faster than than the next person. But because you're in a fight, and that's a little different than than a competition, you don't want the same kind of draw, so you want that that four-count draw. So at count one, you're grabbing it from wherever it's stored, whether it's next on your uh, your nightstand next to your bed, or if you're carrying somewhere, you're, you're, you're going to grab that pistol. That's one. Two, it's immediately out of a holster or it's where it's contained and it's oriented towards the threat. Three, now you're meeting that pistol with your support hand underneath your chin at chest level. And you're doing this so you can protect that pistol. So that uh, if a threat is lunging at you, you can... That's the two-handed grip underneath your chin at chest level. You've got maximum control and leverage over that pistol. And then forward, you're you you're, you're going to push out. So it's important to know how to handle and manipulate that pistol because vast majority of movies, television, whatever, um, even well-intending uh, instructors who just don't know what, what they're doing, um, they teach people to walk and to clear um with the pistol pushed all the way out and that's the last thing you want to do. You want to keep it at position 3 underneath your chin and chest as you're looking and as you're clearing and as you're you're moving to a point. It's only until you actually identify that threat are you going to be pushing out um, to a full presentation at position 4. So if the pistol's the thing that you want, then you need to get time behind it and you need to learn how to correctly uh, manipulate it and control that pistol under stress, you know, while to, to prepare you for, for that fight. And again, it's, it's different than the movies or, 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 TV. Uh, so the next one is rifle. And this is my personal choice. This is what I have, uh, ready to, to go in case there's that, that bump in the night. Uh, and it, mine's an AR, you know, again, it can be whatever you want. Um, as long as you Know how to use it. Um, I'm not a big fan of having magazines coupled together. They like two mags um, attached together. But this is the one next to you know to my bed. The the one that I have ready. That's one of the rare occasions where I actually have that. So I have the ability to grab that uh, weapon and then I have 60 rounds ready to go. And then each mag too, I have different ammunition. I've got uh, one. That is going to punch a little bit harder and and punch through a little bit better, and then the other one is is a hollow point that is more destructive to uh, you know to, to tissue. So depending on what kind of a threat I'm facing, then I, I have those choices. Uh, my my AR definitely has a, a flashlight on it. It's also suppressed, and uh, it's you know it's the thing that I know best, and that's the one that that I go towards. Uh, so, and that's what I would suggest. Uh, you can more easily control and manipulate uh, that firearm, that 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 rifle, than you can a pistol, or that you can even even a shotgun. Um, so that would be my my suggestion is to get that that rifle. I would suggest an AR, but there's you know AKs, OGS, whatever. There's all kinds of different options out there. Um, and then I'm not going to dwell too much on ammunition selection because there's so much out there, and, and every week, especially with the ammo shortage, there's there's people who are motivated, good capitalists that they are, and coming up with new companies, selling ammunition, and, and coming up with new products. There's just so much out there, but you want to be as wise as you can with your ammunition selection. So if you have a rifle, if you do have an AR, and you've got that 5.56, five, um, there's frange, frangible ammunition out there. There's hollow point ammunition out there. There's stuff that are specifically designed to, you know, do tissue damage, but at the same time, once it starts hit, hitting one or two layers of drywall, it's going to fragment and it's not going to over-penetrate. That's, you know, something you definitely want to think about uh, and consider. Another thing now, now we're talking about firearms is, is night vision. Um, one of the advantages you have with your home preparation, is it, it's your home, so you should know the layout. You should be very familiar with the layout, uh, and that will certainly help. But another great advantage is, is night vision. As you guys know, uh, a couple podcasts back, we, we had a representative from NVD, night vision devices. He came here and talked all about night vision and dropped all kinds of knowledge. Uh, We're big fans of it. As you've heard us preach before, if you have, you know, seven or eight or nine ARs, might not be a bad idea to see if you can't sell a couple of those and, and have some extra money and, and buy yourself some night vision. Everything from a single tube, a PVS-14, to, to dual tubes and on up. Something like that can be a great uh, enhancement, a great uh, force multiplier for you to to protect yourself. Because now you have people who are coming into your home, most likely it's at night, uh, they're not familiar with your home, so you know your home. And then if all the lights are out and you have that that night vision, that's that's just going to give you that much of an advantage. And, of course, then there's all kinds of different products, uh, malls, D-balls, all sorts of other lasers and things that you can put on, both visible as well as uh, IR that you can put on your rifle or, or even your pistol, you know, depending. And, um, again, that's just a great force multiplier and really c- could potentially help you out. Um, another thing that you can think about is, is body armor or a kit. Um, to be honest with you, if I hear that bump in the night, yeah, I have body armor, but I'm not going to be going for that. I'm just going to grab my gun with my 60 rounds and, uh, and then use that to, and, and approach that threat while my family is moving to, to a safe room in the house but that's certainly a, an option as well if you want to have armor or, or kits or a vest or something or shoot if you if you choose to have a shotgun nothing wrong with having a, a big man purse loaded up with uh with rounds with with buckshot and other things um so that's, that's something else to think about just don't be willy-nilly about it put some forethought into it think about it and think realistically if i hear that bump someone is coming into my home or multiple people are coming to my home um, as a threat. What am I realistically going to do? Um, I tell you what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to take the time to, okay, there's my, uh, my plate carrier I'm putting on. Now I'm adding mags. Now I'm putting on my ballistic helmet. I'm going to grab my tac- tactical gloves. I'm going to put my Solomons on. No, n- none of that stuff. Um, I'm going to grab my AR. Most likely I'm going to be barefoot. Uh, probably in my underwear and, uh, I'm going to go meet that threat. That's, that's realistic. Um, but again, there's nothing wrong with having body armor, nothing wrong with having kit ready and prepared. Um, if anything, that'd be something I would want to put in, in and put in store in my, in my, uh, safe room. So we'll talk a little bit about, uh, fire drills and other stuff a little bit later on this podcast. So I think that's pretty good. Covered those firearms, got it out of our system, all that cool, sexy stuff and what what we like to do at the range. And now we'll talk about some, uh, maybe some some more boring things, but they're actually a little bit more practical and and things that you really need to think about. Um, You need to be wise. You need to be well-rounded. You need to be that good light fighter that Chris and I talk about. That's what you should strive to be. Those individuals that only think that, hey, I've, I've got my plate carrier and I've got my rifle and that's it. And I'm I'm gonna take that power back or I'm you know, whatever. They're just not thinking ahead. They're 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 playing checkers instead of playing chess. They're not thinking what are the second and third order effects of what I'm choosing to do and, and what I'm doing. Um so all this other stuff is extremely important. And uh you know, you those of you here listening, you're striving to be more well-rounded. You're you're taking this advice and making changes as necessary, um, but you have those friends. You have those. You know, I know I do, um, who, who just haven't thought about, okay, what's next or, or what about after that. Um, so you know, take this advice and, and this stuff, and, and please share it with them. Um, help them to be a little bit more well-rounded. Okay, slow your home. Again, I, I've already mentioned before. It, it is your home. And you should know the layout. That is one of your biggest advantages is you know your home. Those threats, they don't know your home. Um, as we talked in the Home the Castle podcast, your defense of your home and the preparation really begins on the outside. W- what is the appearance of your home? Does your home or even the apartment that you live in, uh, the apartment building or, or whatever, does it blend in with what's normal uh, in your community? in your neighborhood that's important you want it to blend in as as best as you can you want it to be gray you don't want it to to stand out you don't want it necessarily to to be different you don't want to be attracting that kind of attention so so blend in and make sure the outside appearance blends in with uh with everything else so now as you're getting closer to the house what's the, the next line of defense it's gonna be your doors. Then after that, it's gonna be the windows. So all your outside doors, they should be solid core doors. Um, Make sure they're solid, make sure they're not hollow, um, good heavy wood. Uh, If you have the option to to put a steel door, great. Uh, But the thing that you wanna think about is, okay, and if my door is super, super solid, um, what about the frame? And what about how it's attached to the house itself? If that's weak, you can have the world's strongest door, but the hinges are just gonna break with you know, with pressure, then you're kind of defeating the purpose. A great option to harden your house, harden those doors, is to get uh, door barricades, for as cheap as nineteen bucks. And I'm just saying that that's that's the lowest I've found. And most likely, you know, do a little bit of research. You probably want to spend a little bit more money and make sure that what you're getting is uh, is a solid product but for as cheap as 19 dollars you can buy two by four door barricade brackets so what these are these are just brackets that you can attach screw in to uh to the frame of uh of of the door or even you know into the to the wall itself or the brick it, itself so then all you have to do with these brackets is oh, it's whatever it's uh Things are getting crazy so now i'm concerned for the, my safety or it can just turn into your normal every night okay now we're locking down the house and you just drop in a two by four into those brackets and you can have one bracket you can have you know two whatever how however paranoid you want to be you can use those to harden the, the you know that door making it much much harder for somebody to to break in they can bust the lock they can assault the door but with one or more of those uh, two by fours with those brackets it's gonna be very hard to, to get in and uh you know just like the poet said just because i'm paranoid doesn't mean they're not after me so yeah that's that's something you can definitely do um i mentioned you know what's the next one is windows uh, you can get metal bars and there are some that go on the outside of the windows. I prefer the ones that are on the inside of the windows just because then they don't stand out nearly as much, but they still offer that protection. Again, those metal bars then are secured or fastened into the wall itself, into the brick or, or you know, whatever the, the side of the, of the building is. So, again, with these, what are you doing? You're, you're creating a barricade. So if someone is determined to get into your house and you have one of those two by fours, it's buying you time. You can hear them as they're trying to beat that door down. That's giving you those precious seconds, minutes, whatever to to get that firearm or to move your family into that safe room or depending on what the situation is, you can even then find if you have a, an alternate exit from the from the home and, and get out of the home while they're so focused on trying to beat down that door or they broke the glass in a window and now they have those bars to contend with. Again, it's buying you that time to make the next couple of decisions of you know, what you want to do in, in that situation. I've mentioned a safe room. That is a great thing to have uh, and as part of your your home preparation as you're trying to uh, you know prepare for whatever um, situation might be so that safe room that's like your Alamo that's your fallback point Uh, that's where if there is that bump and as you know we have a lot of kids and we have a plan and we know Uh, where the older children are going to go and station themselves, where I'm going to go and station myself, where the younger ones are moving into that safe room, and then we're collapsing down until all of us are inside that safe room. And even though it's fun, and it's, uh, I think it's fun to teach CQB, close quarters battle, room clearing and stuff, and it's something that you should have a working knowledge of, the safest thing for you to do is to retreat into that safe room that the entryway or the way to get into that safe room should be set up in a fashion where you can most easily defend it. And that is probably the best strategy or tactic that, that you can. Um, and, and even me, who I, I know what I'm doing, I've done CQB for real since 2002. Um, wow. Man, I'm an old man. Anyways, um, see, I, since I've done it for real since, since 2002, um, still what I'm going to do is I'm going to advance to a point and then I'm going clear using the techniques that I know up to a point that I'm going to hold that point as my family then is moving into the safe room. And once they're in the safe room, I'm going to, in a strategic or a tactical manner, back up until I'll, now I'm in that safe room. And then that's what we're going to do. And, and we're going to wait. And if those knuckleheads choose to, uh, Advance and come and, and try to get up to that safe room where we're at. Well, they're gonna they're gonna be hurting because um, we'll we will certainly be be ready for them. And that's what I would you know suggest for you guys. F- think about the layout of your home. What makes the most sense um, for a family, husband and a wife with a couple of kids. Your bedroom probably isn't the best place to set up as that safe room. I would argue that probably one of your children's rooms is probably the best place. That way, you're moving to that child's room. The child doesn't have to move and expose themselves um, to whatever those potential threats are. So you can fall back and collapse in, into that kid's room. You know, And that, that's an idea. But what do we preach? We preach principles versus techniques i think that's a really good technique but that that's not the end all be all that's not the the cookie cut answer you as an intelligent person as you and your family or you and your partner or or whatever uh, you and your roommate as you guys think and discuss you're going to come up with your own best solution as to which room makes the most sense to be that room to fall back in on and for that room to be your alamo in that room you're going to want to uh pre-position different supplies and things there since this is going to be your fallback room this is for me where it makes sense to store the body armor to store some of the other kit to have extra ammunition to have things in in that safe room that way if i do hear that bump and i grab that ar with those 60 rounds because i have two 30 round mags coupled together and as i'm waiting and we're getting everyone into the safe room that I'm the last person there sure then I can get up in that safe room and now I've bought myself some time somebody else can cover the door why then it makes sense for me to grab that armor put it on um and and do all those other things that that I I didn't do earlier because time was of the essence some of the things you definitely want to have in that safe room is water uh maybe some food some comfort food um and then whatever supplies or things that you know that i've already mentioned ammunition maybe some more guns maybe body armor um there's nothing wrong with you having a you know a close uh closed circuit um monitor in there with with cameras throughout the house uh, if you have that kind of a system or setup, that safe room is where you're going to want those monitors so that you can potentially see what's going on and, and prepare yourself or know when it's it's safe for you to, to finally exit. You definitely want um, some way to communicate in that room, whether if you still have a landline, you want a landline in there, um, as well as make sure that you have your cell phone or, or other forms of communication that could be shortwave radios as, as well Um that's, you know, everything that you, uh, you're going to want and think about it. What are we going to need? Uh, if, if we're, if we're trapped in this safe room for, for a half hour, if we're trapped in here for an hour, if we're trapped in there for, for longer than that, um, what are some things that going to be nice? If you have children, what are some things that your kids are going to want? That's why you might want some comfort food. Make sure again, like I said, you have some water. So these are things, again, I'm giving you guys suggestions, but these are things you need to figure out. For yourself, what makes the most sense? Um, when do you call law enforcement? When do you call nine one one or police? I would argue that for us, our plan is we're not calling until everybody is safe inside of that safe room until I'm the last person there because time is, is of the essence. We want to get everyone there as fast as possible. So I don't want to waste the time uh, to, uh, to mess with phones to, to to make those calls because even if we do call, they're not going to get there fast enough to protect me or protect my family. Um, so we'll get everyone in that safe room and then that's when we'll make the call. Now that we have our, our fallback point and we're in our Alamo. Um, and again, if, if those threats are stupid enough to try to, uh, to come to where we're at at that point, um, and we can very easily and we, we will defend ourselves, but then now we're in that place. Now we can, can wait for the authorities to, to arrive and and to help. All right. So what are some other supplies that uh, that you should have? Um, And not necessarily just in in your safe room, but just overall uh, in your house. You know, some of the things that um, that makes sense. Uh, A good one is to have a fire extinguisher. It's a good idea to have a fire extinguisher in every level of your home. I would have a fire extinguisher and I would, but we do, we have a fire extinguisher in every level of our home. We also make sure that a fire extinguisher fire extinguisher is, is in the, uh, in the kitchen. Also, we have one where uh, we store the majority of our ammunition. Um, and, and again, think about your house. What makes sense? Where should we have it? Do you have a fire extinguisher? If not go to Lowe's, go to Home Depot, go to Walmart, um, They're not as expensive as as you probably think. And they're definitely something that if you need one, you're going to want one. Um, So yeah, fire extinguisher. Something else is bedding, blankets, sheets, Um, if there is some kind of an emergency. um, And if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably an individual that you have... Plenty of friends and family who say, oh, if something bad happens, we're, we're coming to your place. Um, I know I have heard that my entire life, and I'm sure you have as well. So that's something, if it there is a bad emergency, uh, whatever it might be, part of that home preparation is I would have some extra blankets, um, have some sheets. Uh, another thing to think about is we all saw the propaganda with COVID-19. We saw the the supposed video smuggled out of China with people just dropping in the, in the streets. Um, you know, very good, very good propaganda. Um, but at that time, when, when it first started, we didn't know how bad it could could be. We didn't know. But it certainly seemed to have the potential to be very, very bad. Maybe the next uh, thing might be a little bit more real than what COVID has been. Anyways, the point is, You're going to want to have extra blankets and sheets. If you have to quarantine yourself because you really are sick or somebody else has to really quarantine themselves, um, you're going to want to have the ability to do that. So again, extra blankets, extra sheets right now, they don't cost that much. You can go to Walmart and you can pick up plenty. That is a good thing to have on hand. I know one thing that, that we did, and now this is not just for our home, but also part of, uh, some of our 72 hour kits, is, we found some wool blankets that were very inexpensive they were military surplus and those wool blankets are are awesome doesn't matter if they're wet or not they're going to keep you warm um very inexpensive i think we picked up 15 of them and uh, just to have as as extra things very warm Uh, and again a great resource trash bags that's something else uh you might only have a box of trash bags or small bags cuz that's all you ever need but you know thinking long term um having multiple you know boxes of trash bags for any number of things um again thinking worst case scenario uh what if you're injured what if you're wounded what if a loved one of yours is is wounded um what if they are really are sick um, you're going to want something, and you might not be able to go out and get it, uh, that will be able to contain those bandages, contain um, th- the puke or, you know, the things that now become a, a, a potential biohazard. Uh, you're going to want plenty of trash bags. Again, and, and that, as well as like the bedding and, and the fire extinguishers and, and all of this stuff that we've been, been talking about, that I've been talking about so far, right now it's, it's cheap. And it's very easy to get. But when you need it, and if you don't have it, then some of these items are gonna be extremely hard in that moment to to get and to acquire. So get some now while you can. Um again, what is a couple of things what are a couple of things that I've alluded to with the bedding and with the trash bags, and that's that's being wounded or, or being sick. So medical supplies is something else that I highly recommend that you have. And then also in addition to that, get as much and as diverse um, medical training that you can, um, whether it's simple things like CPR or or other, you know, stop the bleed. Um, You can certainly do those things, but then also if you can, and if you have resources, take more advanced classes. I know uh, we have run a lot of medical classes in the past. We haven't really right now because... Our primary instructor decided to to move to Utah, and he's doing good things out there. Um, We do have another medical class lined up. I don't recall the date off the top of my head, but it's um, an everyday carry uh, trauma med class. Also on November 13th, we're gonna be having a a seminar that's gonna focus on what supplies for you to have for long-term care, um, long-term medical care. So we'll have all kinds of examples and things, and we'll talk about each one and, and the why you might want it and why not. So I'm going to briefly cover some of those things, but this seminar is going to go into more detail. and we'll actually have them there for you to uh, to see and to uh, and, and think about, and then and again ask us questions about it. But when it comes to med supplies, we'll start small first, and that's with a EDC kit. Um, you can make them yourselves, and you can uh, we sell not sell, but we're affiliated with, uh, with focus group. So you can go on our website under the med section and then you actually purchase it from them. But if you go through a website to purchase it from them, it automatically gives you, I think it's like a 10% discount code. So, you know, you can, you can save money on that, but they have what they call their shield trauma kit. And what it is is just a, an everyday carry kit. So you can buy a prepackaged one there. There's some advantage to that, or you can simply make your own, but what you want with that EDC kit, that everyday carry kit that you, you have with you all the time um like like the one i have with me all the time you want some gauze or quick clot or or cell ox something you know one of those three so you can actually plug the hole uh for for trauma to you know to stop stop the bleeding um quick clot is really good it's probably the most common one that's known that has the uh, hemostatic agents in there so it, it helps actually with the clotting I like Cellox a little bit more because it's hemostatic agent is is a little different and I think is a little bit more effective, but but both are really good. And then on top of that, with my EDC kit, uh, I have a SWAT-T. So if you're not familiar with a SWAT-T is, it's like a rubber, stretchy, uh, rolled up band that's about four to five inches um, wide and with this you just wrap wrap and then since it's rubber it kind of um kind of a, it adheres to itself as you can use it as a tourniquet. I like it cuz it's a good jack of all trades. Um other tourniquets uh that are specific that are also really good um that I would suggest you have with another kit. Um they're not they're specific as tourniquets. You can't do as much with them as you can say with a SWAT-T or you can you know use it as a pressure dressing. You can use it on little kids. You can use it on animals, a dog. Um, it's just a good jack-of-all-trades. So to have something quick with you, you want that gauze or you want that quick clot. You want something you can shove in that hole. And then the SWAT tee. And then I would also suggest gloves. In this day and age, if you don't know them, you want to have gloves on. <laughs> and depending on who your friends are, if you do know them, then you definitely know you want some gloves on. You don't want to be messing with that nasty person. But that's a simple EDC kit, just those three items. Uh, the next one move up would be an IFAC or an individual first aid kit. So you'd want those same basic things, a gauze, the quick clots, cell um, maybe a SWATI, maybe not, definitely with gloves. But now that uh, this kit's a little bit bigger and a little bit more dedicated and I have an IFAC on my, the belt that I use in classes or actually when I'm at work, my, my battle belt has an IFAC on it. Um, so with that, you're going to want a more dedicated tourniquet whether a cat a cat tourniquet which is a very good tourniquet and it's probably the one that's most well known and out there um, or a wide soft tea tourniquet which i actually prefer over a cat though, you know both work well i just like the wide soft because it's all metal instead of plastic like like the cat and the cat tourniquets out of the box are great very very good but i have seen them um, that have been exposed to the sunlight over a period of time and then the plastic starts to degrade and gets a little brittle and i've seen them break so again i'm not telling you what you need to get i'm just giving you guys options another thing now with that I fact to improve it to make it a little bit more effective more well-rounded, is you want some kind of an occlusive dressing. And there's all kinds of brand names with different types of occlusive dressings. And, and if you don't know what that is, what it is, it, occlusive means that it's preventing any passage of air. So if you're injured, stabbed, lungs are punctured, shot in the chest or somewhere, um, one of the wounds that, that is common with that is it's called a sucking chest wound. And it's as the person is breathing, as they're inhaling. Then not only do they have air going through their nose and their mouth, you know, into their lungs, but also now because there's that hole that has been punctured, now you have the passage of air there. Um, so it's coming in a place where it shouldn't be. So that dressing is designed then to put over top of that and adhere to the skin so that it won't allow that passage of, of air anymore. And that's that's important. Um, if that air is allowed to uh, to pass, uh, without being blocked, um, what can develop then is a, uh, attention pneumothorax. So what basically what's happening is if you, uh, to be very, very simple caveman terms, you have your heart and lungs and your heart and lungs are basically encased in a series of balloons. Again, being very, very caveman about it. So, so you can better understand it. Some of you guys, as I'm talking to you through the radio. Uh, through this podcast. So what happens then is one or two or whatever multiple layers or, you know, like so it could just be one layer of those balloons are, are now punctured because of that injury. So when that person inhales with that negative pressure that's, that's in there with the expansion of the lungs and diaphragm, now air is being sucked in. And then when the person goes to exhale, then that balloon or that, that hole that shouldn't be there um, will then shut and prevent the air from escaping. So basically what it's doing is every time that person is breathing or inhaling, more air air is coming in. Then every time they exhale, that that hole's getting trapped shut. So then now the air is not escaping. So with every breath, more air comes in and it starts to build up pressure and build up pressure and build up pressure. And then left unchecked, what actually happens is the pressure in those layers of balloons, um, and with the air filling it, it starts to collapse the lungs, and the pressure will build up so much that it actually starts uh working on the heart where the heart is having a hard time pumping Very, very late signs of this is um the you have uh the veins on on your neck they start to bulge because what's happening is the blood is not able to travel back from where it's up in, in the head and the brain back down in, into the heart because there's too much pressure. And then the trachea will start to move and deviate um, away from the affected side. So if the injury is on the left of the person, the trachea is gonna to start to move over to the right because that pressure is building up so much and it's collapsing and pushing the lungs away away from, from that injury. And then the person, um, they can feel it. Every time they breathe, they feel there's a little bit closer to death. And what will kill them is not so much, it's the lungs collapsing, but the pressure builds up so much that the heart can't beat. So the heart basically stops because the pressure is so built up there. So um, if a person has that, that kind of a wound, that sucking chest to them, or they've been, their, their lungs or whatever have been punctured, as soon as you can put that occlusive dressing down there, that, that dressing that will prevent the passage of air, the sooner that person can then be, be stabilized. So that's another great thing to have in that IFAC. And then another thing is a NPA or nose trumpet a, a nasal pharyngeal airway. So that's something else to have, because if a person is unconscious due to the nature of the injury, um, not that they're asleep, but they're unconscious because of of the injury, they might not have the ability to protect their airway. So having an NPA is, is, and knowing how to use it is another great and very easy thing as you measure from the tip of the nose to the tip of the ear and then insert it in. So then now you can help that person to manage their airway, um, if they're unconscious. And then there's some other things, you know, you can add maybe some more bandages. Uh, I know some people who, um, will get a, a small roll of, of duct tape and put it in there. Um, really that I fac it's, that's a good start. You can add to it. Uh, I wouldn't take anything away from it. Um, some of them, depending on uh, on where they're intending, where they're going, they'll have a needle to do needle decompressions, which is what you want to do to relieve that pressure in case you do have a tension uh, pneumothorax. But there is a lot of debate, even in the in the uh, in the medical community, not the civilian, but in the military side, in, in the soft community, of whether that's something that you should do if it, if it helps, if it hurts. Um, Again, it's it's certainly an option. I know I have my needles and I know how how to how to use it. So that's something that you know I'd be willing to do. But again, that's all that's all up to you. Um, and and focus. Uh, you know, they they have different level eye facts. One of their claims to fame is their eye facts are designed to fit inside and behind body armor and plate carriers and stuff. So it's there filled with the supplies you need, but it's out of the way, freeing up your belt instead of like, say a traditional IFAC where it's on a belt or taking up space somewhere else. All right. So moving on to the next level would be uh, your vehicle. So you definitely want a med kit in your vehicle. And what should you have? Well, have what you have in your IFAC, but only now you have more space. So have more of it, have more things for, uh, you know, for bleeding control more bandages, um, maybe some Israeli bandages, have more, uh, um, you know, have some cravats. Uh, so you can have Curlex, you can have all sorts of other stuff, you know, there in the vehicle. Um, and like I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, uh, I have used my vehicle kit more than I have anything else. Um, my, I haven't, you know, my IFAC or my EDC kits, I haven't really used those it's it's been my vehicle kit um i have been the first person on the uh on the scene of an accident or more than one occasion shoot uh we were teaching a class flynn and i we were um we just left our hotel and we were driving to the shoot house to go run some uh some law enforcement through uh through a class and immediately in front of us at an intersection car crash so we uh Quickly went around it and then stopped and and he and I were the first ones there to to do anything. We started talking to the people, started treating uh, one of the individuals who's injured, and we were there for a good ten minutes until uh, the, first the uh, police and then some EMS arrived, and then uh, they didn't need us. So then we we took off and we went to go teach that class. But that is it's the nature of the beast. That's the world we live in here with with so many vehicles and people traveling, and that's been my experience of. Of being well-rounded. I've used these medical skills and these, this equipment more than anything else that, that I have. Another thing you can have, which makes, uh, which, which is helpful is having a magic marker, uh, something that can write on just about anything. So if you did do a procedure, if you did apply a tourniquet, if you did, uh, you know, put an in occlusive dressing, you can write on that person's forehead. You can write, uh, you know, on a piece of paper or something and document the time. Hey, I applied a tourniquet at 1032 uh, to the upper left arm. Great, so then when EMS does arrive or that next uh, echelon you know, shows up there of you know, higher level of care, you can you can hand it off to them, um, that piece of paper. Or even just say, hey, I, I wrote it on his chest or I wrote it on on his head somewhere so that, that they can see that. It might sound silly, but really, um, that's something that's extremely helpful. One of the last things you wanna do is be a good Samaritan. And someone has a massive bleeding, say, on their leg or on their arm, and you correctly applied a tourniquet, and now you stop that bleeding, and you didn't record it, and for whatever reason, it wasn't caught by the uh, arriving EMS. They didn't do their due diligence in searching, you know, head to toe, treating as they go. And something like that get missed for for hours or even longer. And, you know, so something as simple as just writing a T on somebody's forehead, um, that. As silly as it might sound, that, that could, could save things. That could be, you know, very nice. All right, so then now you're home, which is really what we're talking about. I wanted to start, you know, basic and work, and work your way up because um, that makes sense, having those, those echelons or having those levels. So at home, uh, now with, with your home, now you have the advantage. You can have a lot more medical equipment um, and a lot more supplies. So if you have a multi-story home, put an IFAC in at least uh, a place in every level of of your home. Um, that way, if there is an accident, something bad happens, um, you have that medical equipment that, that's right there when needed. And I mean, shoot, with, with the eight kids that I have, <laughs> we have used our medical supplies when it comes, you know, Kids being kids, falling, d- doing whatever, uh, you know, scraping knees, uh, you name it. That, that that's normal stuff. So we've certainly ha- have used some of these uh, some of these supplies. So you know, have that IFAC on, on every floor. You also want to have s- supplies now that you can for, for long term care. Again, depending on what's happened or what is happening, you know, not just necessarily home invasion, but but who knows? Um, hurricane, earthquake civil unrest, whatever. You want supplies for long-term care. So, you know, that means wound dressings. So you want a supply and I would, you know, everything from like the smallest Band-Aid on up to large size uh, dressings. And you want, you know, those different sizes. Um, and when it comes to Band-Aids, you want different size Band-Aids because they do different things and there's different types of injuries. Uh, but you definitely want that wide variety, again, from the smallest Band-Aid up to some really large-sized dressings. And how much should you get? Well, whatever you're thinking right now, at least double, double that. Because if it is civil unrest or if there is some kind of natural disaster, you might not be able to get any kind of help um, from anybody. Could be for days. Uh, might be longer. So if you have supplies for yourself and you have a lot more, then you might then be able to help your neighbors uh, if, if necessary. You want to have a ton of gauze and curlex. So if it is some kind of a trauma injury, uh, you're going to need to be changing those dressings depending on the nature of the injury, uh, maybe once a day, maybe once every other day or whatever. But those resources you're not really gonna be reusing them. They're gonna be used once, and then when you clean it out and then repack it, you're gonna be disposing of those things. So you're gonna want a lot. I know for, for our family, we have boxes and boxes of gauze and Curlex and, uh, that we have um, just for that reason. Uh, another thing you might think about is Chuck's pads. If you're not familiar with that, they're, they're usually blue. But what they are, they're just absorbent. So, like if you need to work on someone, if you need to uh, debride a wound, if you need to do sutures, if you need to, you know, whatever, you're going to want to put that pad down and lay the arm on top of it or use that pad as a barrier or a border so that it will suck up all the blood so that you're not contaminating the table, the floor, the bed, or, you know, whatever. All, all that um, bodily uh, fluids will be caught on, on that pad. Uh, sutures you can get sutures through amazon um it's a good idea to have some and then uh there's plenty of stuff like on youtube that with different tutorials and other places that can teach you how to how to suture and how do you practice well an easy way to practice is just go get yourself a hunk of meat from the store and then slice that meat and then practice sewing it up um that's that's an easy way to do it All of these things I'm talking about now for this long-term care, I'd mentioned that uh, November 13th, we're having that that seminar. So we'll go into much more detail there. We're It it makes sense for you to be in front of it so you can see it Then we'll demonstrate some things um, just to give you that good idea of, oh, these are some of the supplies. And maybe for my family of three, it makes um, sense to have this much. Or if I have a I'm working with a a church group or I'm working with a a group of friends, you know, mutually to support each other, we're going to want this much. Um, You know, that's really what what that seminar is is based for. So you can see these things and then also we'll tell you and give you different um, options to uh, where to acquire or where to purchase these things. So with sutures, another thing you're going to want to have is stainless steel tools, like a basic surgical kit, hemostats, scissors, tweezers. Uh, And you want stainless steel so that you can, you know, sterilize it and, and be able to reuse it. Those are all, again, really important things to do, um, and, and have other things to have since it's your home and, and you can, uh, you know, store this stuff is you're going to want some, uh, some different supplies like uh, triple antibiotic or back saturation. Um, again, you want that, get a cut, put it on there. Your, your biggest concern would be, uh, um, getting an infection. So here's an example years and years and years ago i was uh um teaching a class and uh had a really nasty ricochet it took most of the kinetic energy out but a part of it came back off some steel and um and, and tagged me so i realized hey i'm the most qualified guy here so it was it, it hit part of my leg so i exposed the wound cleaned it out did all the right stuff um, and then, uh, I could, could feel just a little flake of, of metal that was like in the meat. And I'm like, well, I can pull the thing out now, but I'm here in the States, might as well just go to the, to the doctors real quick, just to make sure, you know, cause who knows, maybe it had hit a, a vein or maybe it hit an artery. And if I would remove it, you know, then I'd really start to bleed. Didn't think to be the case, but I was just overly cautious. So then, um, we wrapped up the class. I, after class, I headed over and uh, went to the closest ER, talked to them, and uh, <laughs> waited for, I don't know, two and a half, maybe three hours. So um, after I'm done waiting, the doc uh, was like, okay, let me get this straight. You're a Green Beret, yep. And you're a soccer medic, yep. Okay, so then after uh, this, this flake of, of metal hit you, you did this, 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 and this, yep i did and then she went oh okay well we wouldn't do anything different so uh yeah uh we're not going to mess with it do you want a prescription for some antibiotics and i said yeah sure absolutely so i got this prescription so the whole point of this is with me doing everything right everything right um getting it sterile cleaning it with uh you know alcohol um Messing with the wound making sure the wound itself, that the site was clean. um, Immediately bandaging it up with sterile bandages. Going to the hospital um, and doing everything correct here in the States. uh, I still developed a really gnarly uh, infection. Um, That's that's again, the world we live in. So even though I started taking those antibiotics right away, I got a pretty gnarly infection. And then I expressed it myself and man, I wish I could have, I should have recorded it. It didn't think about it. It was some pretty gnarly, like green cottage cheese and stuff that was coming out of that thing. It was, it was pretty wild. Um, Cleaned it up again, uh, did again all the right stuff. And by that point, now we're talking days and the antibiotics did their thing. And, uh, you know, so I was fine. But the point of that was with me doing all the right things from, you know, within a minutes um, I still got uh, an infection so that's something that you really need to think about so yes triple antibiotic backsitracin, something like that so you can immediately put on the wound to help fight that uh, you know the natural bacteria the natural you know garbage that's there that's gonna help cause that infection uh, have hydrogen peroxide on hand have alcohol on hand rubbing alcohol you know and, and let's back up just a second so if you can recall when all the craziness last year going on with, with COVID, hydrogen peroxide and rubbing alcohol was extremely hard to come by. Um, most places, grocery stores, Walmarts, uh, uh, pharmacy places, most of them were all sold out of that stuff. And whenever they put them up on, on the shelf and they get some, they're usually gone pretty quick. So having those things beforehand, getting them now, and having a nice supply of them now, um, you know, that, that only makes sense. So I said rubbing alcohol, and that's true. That's good. You know, so you can disinfect. But, you know, some uh, good old hard alcohol, um, you know, maybe that'd be the way to go. It'll do the same thing. It'll still disinfect. But there's also other, uh, you know, other advantages to, to having that. And that's coming from me. And those of you know me know that I, I don't drink at all. Um, but still, that's not a bad thing necessarily to have is, you know, have some of that, that good, uh, good whiskey or something there. Anyways iodine is something else that's really beneficial um get iodine and another thing that has multiple uh, uses is sugar get lots and lots of cane sugar um so you can use it for your food storage you can use it to sweeten whatever drinks but also you can mix that iodine and that sugar and then you can pack those wounds and that does wonders um as uh you know for um wonders to, to stop infection shoot uh you can buy it i forget what it's called but it it is a pre-mixture of the iodine with the sugar but at the same time if you don't have iodine you can still pack that wound with the sugar and it'll really help with the uh with the healing process um in addition to uh to sugar honey also works well uh, manuka honey being the best um with it being a little bit more concentrated but but honey Honey is uh, another thing that you can pack in those wounds that will help it to, uh, you know, antibacterial, keep the wound clean and also help it to, uh, to heal faster. That's another reason why years ago, my wife and I decided that we would get bees. And the primary reason at the time was we had just recently moved and our third son was having uh, a lot of allergies uh, to the new place where he moved. So by getting the bees uh, that were making honey, from the local pollen we started giving him a spoonful of that honey a day and it helped him to naturally start to uh um become used to the local pollen so his allergies weren't weren't nearly as bad uh, as what they first were there's so many positive benefits of honey especially local honey that, that you can get and again using it to, to uh to pack those wounds is, is is one thing that old school technique but it, it works really well um Another thing to think about and to have on hand is some kind of burn cream. Um, there's hydrogel, which I'll tell a story about that in a second. Those creams are, are, are really good, and that's something else with burns. Um, burns suck, and you're going to want to treat those wounds, and then you're going to want to wrap them and just you know, let that person uh, relax and go and not do stuff. Um, so the hydrogel. I love that product. If you ever get a chance to get that product for for burns, it's it's awesome. So, I was in Iraq. I think this was 2010, and um, I had been training the the ice off. And after training them for a couple of months, I decided I was going to put them through a uh, a long night uh, where I would have them hit a location. And again, this is all training. So they hit a location, find intelligence, which would drive them to another location and hit that, which they get more intelligence, which would drive them to another location, to another location. And I think I had five places I had lined up for them to hit and they were using blanks and, uh, I had volunteers. We had some CBs and let me throw a shout out to the CBs. Uh, those guys rock. They were always super cool. They were very humble. They worked their butt off. They were just a pleasure. One of the, the best groups that to work with. I'll always like you know working with the CBs. They're a good group. Anyway, so I had a bunch of CBs who volunteered uh, to uh, to be op four, and, and some of my guys um, from my team also volunteered. So I gave them uh, the mission. Gave them the information. They found uh, the first location that they needed to hit. They came up with a plan. They went. They they hit this place. And now, typical to, to the uh, to the Iraqis, having some equipment and not other equipment, we had plenty of blanks, but they had no blank adapters on any of their guns. They just didn't have them, and we didn't have any extras. So one of my guys, he had an M4 with a blank adapter on top of this hill. And uh, with that, he was just hammering away at, at, at the ISOF as they were advancing. I don't know how many mags he shot, but he shot a lot of mags. So uh, as the ISOF maneuvered and they, they got up to the top of the hill um, and they uh, eliminated the threat and they were started to search to, to get the intel to drive them to the next place, I started telling them, get his gun, get his gun, get his gun, because I wanted, you know, One of them to have a gun with a blank adapter so they can actually shoot a little bit instead of bang, charge, bang, charge, bang, charge, which, you know, they're doing the best they could. We're all doing the best we could, but still be nice to be able to actually, you know, just keep pulling the trigger. So as I'm yelling this, one of the guys is coming over to get it. And so then in my uh, enthusiasm, because I was so motivated, I go ahead and I grab the barrel of this M4 right next to the to the blank adapters i'm actually holding the barrel with the blank adapter up against part of my hand now my buddy had probably shot 120 maybe 150 rounds to this thing on full auto um bunch of you know bunch of mags that barrel was hot i grabbed it i could feel the palm of my hand getting burned. You know, I could almost smell the flesh uh, as uh, it, was, it was sizzling, but in my enthusiasm. And at the same time, I'm not going to show weakness to, to my partners. I'm holding on to this thing like here, take it, take it, take it. And then finally one of the guys came up to me and, and, and grabbed the gun I'm like, all right, now I've got a gun. That's, you know, got a blank adapter on it so we can actually shoot. And then, uh, yeah, he let go and I could feel this, line of where the barrel was in the palm of my hand just it was screaming it was i was in a lot of pain i looked down and like oh man it's already starting to to bubble up that's 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 probably bad but what did i do well this was just the first of five places we need to hit so I just kept uh, rocking on. I, I think I the only thing I had was I had like a canteen on me or maybe a camelback or something. So I dumped some water on my hand and that was the only thing I could treat it. So they hit the second house. Then they hit the third place. Then they hit the fourth place. And then now we're hours into it. They finally hit the last one. It was the big coup de grace. And, uh, you know, yay, hey, there's great training. And they, it was a good night. Other than the fact that at this point now, my hand was all bubbled up and in some severe pain. Um, so then we... I escorted them back to their place, said good night and shala and you know and it was it's was, it was a great night and then I'm walking over and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, my my hand's done. I'm not going to be able to do anything with my hand for <laughs> for weeks." So I go to my uh my Delta and I go, "Hey man, uh this is what happened." And he looked at that and he's like, "Oh, he he made a funny face. Yeah, cuz that that's bad. It's what I bubbled." He's like, "Well, here, let me put this on it." So he got the uh the hydrogel and uh it's actually what he had was like this bandage that was just uh soaking and just dripping with with the hydrogel so i don't know exactly what's in it but i know one of the things that's in it is is lidocaine a little bit of lidocaine so he he put this bandage wrapped it around my hand right on the burn and then secured it there and with that little bit of lidocaine it was just a few minutes and, and the pain went away and then uh so I slept that way that night, and then about halfway through the day, the next day, um, without any pain, um, he and I took it off, and it was almost like the, the burn wasn't there, where it was all bubbled. I could still see like the separation of the skin, but it was now back down um, in the palm of my hand. Didn't hurt anymore. Um, he looked at it, we just kind of washed it off, then we put another dressing on it, and uh, it was like freaking magic. It was it was wild anyways so that was my my hydrogel story and i know i've seen it in some um pharmacies and some other places it's i, I have some now you know with with our kits and stuff highly recommend it. um it's it's magic i know because it's just like you heard i was stupid and dumb did something really dumb held on to that barrel when i should have dropped it right away and uh yeah that next day almost like nothing had happened great stuff Some other things you want to think about is, you know, stool softeners are also at the same time, anti-diarrhea. Again, you're thinking long-term things you might uh, need to be dealing with. So you want to deal with with both ends of that spectrum. Also get aspirin as well as ibuprofen. So if you have an extreme um, uh, pain or or even like a fever, you can use one and then you can use the other and, and you can use them back and back. Or, you know, some people, they also might, you know, have a adverse reaction to one or the other. But, you know, so you, you want to have two. And then if you can, um, you know, another thing is antibiotics. Um, there's ways and means that you can you can have some of that. That's totally up to you to figure that out as well as to to decide if that's something that you want to do or, or, or not do. Um, the only difference with like the military IFACs that we get issued compared to, the IFACs you can purchase as a civilian is that we have a little pill pack of, of antibiotics wide spectrum so that if you get wounded, you want to take those right away just to start that process. Because you know, like the other example that I shared, you're, you're going to probably get an infection. So um, again, when it comes to that home med kit uh, you have space in your home, fill that space Whatever supplies, especially like dressings and, uh, and things t- for treating wounds um, that you think you might need, at least double that. Uh, along with those long-term stuff, i had already mentioned bedding. Yeah, have some pillows, have some beds. Um, wouldn't be a bad idea to have a cot or two because uh, if someone needs to be isolated or they you know, need to rest, you might want to have them someplace a little bit separated from, from everybody else. So again, things to think about. All right so as you know uh with with the classes that that we teach uh we're pretty big uh believers in having food storage um again that's part of that being well-rounded and and well-prepared we're going to be doing another intro to long-term food storage wednesday uh september 29th that'll be here at ltac hq and that'll probably run from about six depending on how many people show up Um, usually it's three hours, so it ends at nine, but sometimes if there's a lot of people and they ask a lot of classes, I mean, ask a lot of questions, then uh, it might go just a little bit longer, but to be, to be short, um, about food storage, food is just getting more and more expensive. Um, there's an article that came out this week by, uh, uh, Kroger, um, saying that they're going to have to, you know, inflation is here their prices have already gone up this year and the, the second half of the year they're gonna go up even more um, the price for meat for beef is 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 growing that's just the world we live in and I cannot foresee it uh, coming down for for a while Food prices are just gonna get more and more expensive so with that said um, if you have not started uh, storing a little extra food that might be uh, something to, to really consider with preparing your home, um, that's a way that has been used by nations and uh, organizations in the past to control and to manipulate people. Oh, you don't have food? Okay, we well, need to do this or don't do this, and and then we'll grant you some. Um, that's well. I don't need to go any further than that. That's just simple history. So the more self-sustaining you can be, um, the more well-rounded you can be. Uh, the better you can maintain some level of of liberty and freedom. So when it comes to long term food storage, uh you know start small. A lot of people they think, oh, I need a year supply. That's that's like the magic, you know, uh, marker there. That's 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 the thing. We we need a year supply. So then some people their uh, method will be to I'm going to spend. Thousands of dollars, and I'm going to get that year supply right now. Well, that's definitely a technique, and I guess you're better off with that than not. But I think a better way to do it is to buy what you eat, and then eat what you buy. Start small. Um, start by preparing a menu. What are we going to eat this week? Okay. Then after you have that menu, what you know, what's it going to take to make this meal? What are the, what are the the components? And then so now you know you've got your shopping list of what we're going to buy. So then if you need two of an item, you need two of these canned goods, go ahead and buy three. Um, just buy a little extra. Focus on, okay, let's get a uh, two weeks worth of, of extra food. And after you accomplish that, okay, now let's work on a month. Let's get a month amount of food. And the whole time you're, you're rotating, you're, you're buying what you're going to eat, and you're going to eat then what you're going to buy. Then after you build yourself up to a month, go for three months. And the thing that you can do then is once you start thinking long term and preparing long term like that, you know, one month, three months, um, then you will actually start to to be able to save money because, then you know, hey, we're going to we like this meal, which requires, uh, you know, this canned good or, or, or this item. So then when that item goes on sale, then instead of buying one, oh, now I can buy a case because we know we're going to be using it and it's going to go into that, uh, that month rotation or that three-month rotation. And as a large family like us, we save tons of money by buying what we actually eat and eating what we actually buy and then buying in bulk when things are on sale. And we are blessed in this area uh, well, I say this area. I mean, right now, we're we're at LTAC headquarters above Lanco. Um, we are blessed in this area here in Lancaster County, as well as all the surrounding counties. I mean, going almost all the way to Philly, um, north of you know some of the counties north of here and definitely to the west, with a lot of Amish and with a lot of Mennonites who, who run these uh, small stores. You can actually buy a lot of things at these smaller stores than and cheaper than what you can at Walmart or or some of these grocery stores. Um, That's definitely what we're blessed in this area. We're some other parts of the country. I know more and more people outside of Pennsylvania listen to this podcast. Uh, They might not be nearly as blessed with, with having those, those small shops, those, uh, you know, Amish or or Mennonite uh, grocery stores, but that is definitely a a resource that that you should use. Buy things in in bulk. Um, If you read the article why wheat on, uh, on uh, the, uh, the website. You know, I wrote that because I knew we were going to be purchasing another order of, of wheat. I was going to get roughly a thousand pounds of wheat. <clears throat> and long story short, I had been gone for about two and a half weeks, uh, doing army training. I came back excited to see my family and we decided to, uh, Go splurge, and we like hibachi, and we go there, you know, less and less frequently. So, all eight kids and my wife, we went to this place, and that meal cost us about two hundred and fifty dollars. So, I got me thinking. The next day, uh, or maybe two days after that, is when I went up and picked up our the order of of wheat. Now, wheat is. Is an amazing thing, and for long, long term food storage, it is a great resource because not only can you grind it up and make bread, which is good for you, um, you can soak it in water, you can mix it in with cereal and eat it, you can crack it, you can, uh, you know, it's kind of you know, grind it up and then you can cook it that way um, and, and eat and eat it like you know oatmeal or, or something like that. It's just, there's so much you can do with it. Plus what's really nice about wheat is that it's very, very easy to sprout. And why is that necessary? Long-term um, food storage with with being able to sprout it, now you're getting natural enzymes. Now you're getting vitamins and nutrients from those greens that uh, you might not have access to. Say, especially say, in the winter, if you can't get anything, you can still sprout that wheat and it only takes a few days, and then now you've got those, those greens. They're just a wonderful resource. Plus, wheat is packed full of calories. So <clears throat> you can read the article because I have all the math in there, and now I'm just going off of memory. But basically for less than double uh, what that meal cost, so a little less than $500, um, we got 1,000 pounds of wheat. So that, that $250 when we splurged, that was one meal for my family. So for less than five hundred dollars, um, again just going off of calories, I think it was fifty-nine days worth of food um, or, or calories for um, per person in my family. So yes, uh, of, of course you want to have more than just that wheat. Uh, you know I, I understand all that, and that's why our our uh, food storage is all kinds of variety and everything. But I'm just going strictly off of of calories. So you have enough calories for 10 people for 59 days for less than $500, compared to one meal at at $250. Um, That's something to think about. Again, we don't go out like that often, but there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, with a little bit of uh, management and with a little bit of forethought and acquiring things now while you can, you can certainly set yourself up and keep yourself independent and, uh, and have food. And that's one of the biggest things that most people, um, they just don't think about or they don't plan for. Because, hey, McDonald's is just down the street. And uh, someday, maybe that McDonald's isn't going to have Big Macs anymore. Um, so prepare. Um, be well-rounded. Well, I think that about wraps it up with, uh, with, what I wanted to talk about, about your home preparation and some good advice that, that I can give you guys, um, really appreciate you. And we're going to be doing another question and answer, uh, podcast soon. We've been, have a nice collection of, of questions, but if there's something you want to hear us talk about or something specific that you want to, uh, you want to ask us, message us, You can text us, hit us up on Instagram, uh, email us. Uh, We'll be happy to get those in. We're gathering them now, so uh, that'll be a good, fun podcast. I thank you guys for for listening, and it's a privilege being able to talk to you guys. I I enjoy it, and I look forward to talking to you again. You guys all stay safe out there. Survival kit contents check. In them, you'll find 145 caliber automatic, two boxes of ammunition, four days concentrated emergency rations, one drug issue containing antibiotics, morphine, vitamin pills, pep pills, sleeping pills, tranquilizer pills, one miniature combination Russian phrase book and Bible, $100 in rubles, One hundred dollars in gold. Nine packs of chewing gum. One issue of Prophylactics, Three lipsticks. Three pair of nylon stockings. Shoot, a fella could have a pretty good weekend in Vegas with all that stuff.